Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yerich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I have a new friend with me today, author of two books, a speaker, a podcast host, a digital mindfulness expert. She has a lot going on. Christina Crook, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thrilled to have you. I read one of your books recently, The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World. And then I have another of your books, Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age. This is beautiful, by the way. What a gorgeous cover. I love it. And I love that the spine sticks out. It's orange. It's a pretty book. I haven't read that one yet, but I am excited to dive in. And I'm just going to read the bio in here real quick. The Marie Mm -hmm. Kondo of digital. Christina Crook is a pioneer and leading voice in the field of digital well-being, which is so important. Author of the award-winning The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World, and the leader of the global hashtag JOMO movement. She regularly shares her insights in major media outlets and interviews other mindful tech leaders as the host of the JomoCast podcast. Her commentary on technology and daily life have appeared in the New York Times, BBC.com, Harper's Bazaar, NPR, Times of India, Glamour, and she lives with her family in Toronto, Canada. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. You probably are buried in snow just like I am. I wish that we were. We've had a winter without snow. It's been a hard winter. It's like in the Chronicles of Narnia, always winter, (laughs) never Christmas. This is always winter, no snow. It really changes things when it's cold, but there's no snow and the temperatures have been fluctuating. So here I am complaining about our weather, but that's all right. It is what it is. I thought of you this morning, literally moments, like 30 seconds before I caught on this call, which is that my youngest, I looked out the window and there he was in running shoes and like almost, you know, knee high snow. And I hollered at him to get back inside and put his boots on. And I was thinking about what you might teach your, you teach your kids about like, you know, there's no bad weather. There's only bad like gear, like you just feel well prepared, right. That you can go in out into any weather. So we want them to enjoy the time outdoors in our world. And that yeah. is hard in the winter, as I'm sure you talk a lot about. Yeah, it is hard, especially the further north that you go and you're a little further north than we are. So I, mm-hmm. I read your book and I really enjoyed it. We have read a lot of the same things and a lot of the authors that you quoted in there and a lot of the books that you suggested I had read. And then there were a lot I hadn't read as well. So that was really cool to see a lot of crossover of things I think that we're both passionate about. And then there were a lot of new things, new things that I had never thought about that you share in a specific light that I had never read about and never been exposed to. And so I really enjoyed it. It's a very in-depth book, The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World. And so I was hoping to start at this topic. So there's been a lot of people who have come on our podcast and written books and they talk about this sort of promise versus peril, the trade-off, the tech trade-off basically. And they talk about things like you have GPS and then you never get lost, but sometimes it's fun to get lost. And they talk about, well, now you have everybody's phone numbers in your phone, but now you can't remember anybody's phone number because there's this trade-off where you've lost a little bit of your attention span. But you took a different twist on it that I thought was really interesting and talked about it in terms of the burdens that we want to carry, the burdens that we want to have. And I loved that. I thought it put it in such a different light that really, truly, there are burdens that we want to have. And so I would love to start there. You had an incredible question. What happens when technology moves beyond lifting genuine burdens and starts freeing us from the burdens that we should not want to be rid of? You're talking about Albert Borgman, which I haven't read his works, but now I'm curious. The burdens that Mm -hmm. we should not want to be rid of. So you have a really cool example in there about the hearth, which I thought was really intriguing. Can we start there? How can there be burdens that we don't want to get rid of? (laughs) Yes, this is the whole concept of good burdens. You know, technology's the big promise of big technology, the, the three big promises of big tech are that it's going to give us ultimate convenience, comfort, and control, right? Yeah. I want something on Amazon. I want I want something. I have like a little hankering for a thing. I go onto my phone. Oh, look, there it is available to me with the click of a button. Oh, it already has saved all of my information. How? Thank you, Shopify. Thank you, Amazon. Tap, right? And then, oh, lo and behold, by the magic of, I don't know what, fairies, uh, it arrives at my doorstep. And I'm like, I might have to step outside for a moment in my slipper, but then I have it. 
the reality is that is the things that bring us most joy are often not within our control mm. are quite uncomfortable and what was that control i was just inconvenient and and, and inconvenient mm. right when you read the studies when you look at the world happiness report social psychology shows us that our greatest source of joy are relationships and any parent that's listening to this any person that's partnered in a long-term relationship uh, anyone that has a family siblings parents will know that relationships are the greatest joy and also the greatest work of our lives they are not convenient they're not in our control right and they're not comfortable um, there can be comfort in them and so I like to start there in terms of a conversation about good burdens because everyone has a relationship that they care about even if there's just one and we need to put the effort in to maintaining and and nurturing and, and growing those things the quote that you shared is from Albert Borgman, who is now probably close to aging up to 90. He's the philosopher of technology out of the University of Montana, the most delightful and joyful human being ever. Uh, if you get a chance, do listen to my interview with him on the Jomocast, my podcast, uh, because he's just so gracious and generous and clear-sighted at you know the ripe old age of his late 80s. He uh, is the one that came up with that question. I remember my breath being taken away by it. What if there are burdens that we should not want to be rid of? I was like, yes, like there are certain burdens I want to maintain. Like think about the beginning of COVID. What did everyone start doing? They started baking bread. It is quite a burdensome thing, baking bread. I have never done it, but my understanding <laughs> is the, ye the yeast and like me making sure the yeast is, you know, doing its thing and all the, you know, and then you're the multiple st steps of baking that bread. Like it's a burdensome thing. So why did people choose to do a thing that was quite hard? Why did that thing bring them joy? And so there's, you know, there's lots of layers to it that we can get into, but I, yeah. So that's I that framing around the conversation about technology moving from convenience and comfort and control into what I suggest in my second book, Good Burdens, are moving then into community and into care right. and into creativity. And studies show that people who are happiest with technology actually use it differently and they use it in those three ways. Mm -hmm. They use it very intentionally and they use it for exactly what we're doing right now in this conversation. Right. We're trying to build and nurture a community, your community of listeners, right? We're trying to think creatively about big problems and opportunities in the world, right? And we're caring for others and even for ourselves by being partnered in a purposeful work. Mm -hmm. So anyways. Yeah, it's really an interesting concept. I mean, I think I'm going to think about it forever because the example in there was about the hearth. And we have one mm -hmm. friend who heats their home with a wood stove and they heat the whole home with the wood stove. And I've been over there before and thought, oh, this seems awful. You know, they talk about how the heat doesn't totally go through the night and in the morning it's cold and they're having to get up and put in the logs. And so my initial thought was, I'm so glad that I don't have to do that. And then you have this part in the book about how it marks specific parts of the day that the coldness gets you up in the morning. It gives that rhythm in your body of what's going on in the day. It's a place to come back to at the night. It gives people different defined tasks. This person's job is to bring in the wood. This person's job is to chop the wood. This person's job is to keep the stove going, the firebox lit. And I thought it was such an interesting thing about how we lose things along the way. The question was, a burden has been lifted, but has it? And in some places, mm -hmm. I think we lose mm -hmm. our direction. We lose our structure. We lose these boundaries, these parts of life that really keep us grounded in the present moment. And then it made me really think about children, that mm -hmm. technology relieves the burden of children. It can. I mean, it has for us. You throw a movie in mm -hmm, your car mm -hmm. and it relieves the burden of everyone yelling up and how much more time and they're fighting with each other or they're singing really loud and it's irritating, <laughs> right? You, you know, you give the screen and oh, that yeah. technology oh, yeah. relieves the burden. I just rocked it out coming home from church the other night. They were all just going at it. Like, isn't that the moment? It's coming <laughs> home from the place of spiritual nurturing and we're all going to fight now. Good. And so... I just cranked the worship music as loud as humanly possible to drown them out. It was a good moment. Right. Uh, no, I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. But then you talk in the book a lot. I think what made me think about it is because you talk in the book a lot about how kids, the presence of kids brings us back to the present moment and they create good boundaries for us too. Like you talk about mm -hmm. how 
you can't be on your screens all day when you have kids because they have these needs that you have to deal with. And so it seems like a pain, but in all reality, it is actually a very good burden to have these children that need us and that keep us from sort of getting sucked into this technological world that the responsibilities really help. So I thought a lot about Mm -hmm. this burdens we should not want to be rid of. So that makes me think about your book, Good Burdens. And I'm excited to read that one. One of the things that you talked about was your rowing experience, that you would get up at Hmm. 4.30 in the morning. So when you talk about convenience, comfort, (laughs) control, those types of things, but you say it was a great experience. That's hard. Yeah. I So I had been an athlete through all through high school, um, but rowing was not a sport. Most people are not exposed to the sport of rowing at all. Um, but the earliest point, most people are maybe in, in college or university. And so that was the case for me. I showed up at clubs days, you know, beginning of very first semester, you know, walking around the tables and it just looked like this group of very tall and athletic individuals were having a very good time. And so I wandered over and saw the photos. And I've always been, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. So, you know, the ocean, I've always been very attracted to to water, but never had the opportunity to really, you know, do a sport on water other than swimming, you know, in water. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and so I decided to sign up for tryouts. And it was a really big deal because I knew literally no one, like I met a couple of people, but I didn't know them at all. And I almost didn't go. And I feel like there's been so many moments in my life where it was so possible that I didn't, I I wouldn't have done the thing, but I'm so glad that I did like getting across that threshold. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those moments where I was like on the fence, on the fence. And finally I just jumped in my parents' minivan and like sped there, got there with like a minute to spare and showed up, got on this weird machine, which was the rowing machine, you know, the erg, the ergometer. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I was quite tall I knew that and quite light <laughs> and was very, I was tall it was very <laughs> guess what oh, oh my goodness look at me I am tall um knew I was tall was quite light but was also very strong and that's kind of like winning you know gold in rowing and so I yeah I started I started training and rowing and you know you start off very painfully physically lifting these massive boats putting them in the water and like the first three weeks is like learning how to sit in a boat okay it's like not glamorous it's such a baby you know like there's so many baby steps and then like well you get to push off well it makes sense because you can't you don't want to tip it Well, this is it. And they're so long and they're so tippy. And so, yeah, just like the progression of like learning a thing. But then finally, after weeks and then months, finally being out on open water and putting our blades in together and moving in unison and the power and the sun rising and all of those elements Mm. working in unity, like it was worth every single minute and ounce of time and ounce of effort. The joy of that. It was such a burdensome thing. It's still a burdensome thing. I'm back to rowing in the last few years and it is a joy, but it is, thank you. But it is also every day I go down there, it is still a burden. And that's like, and that's the paradox, right? Of these things that require all of our attention and all of our effort. Mm-hmm. We're told at every turn, just lay back, consume some more TikTok videos, just, you know, Netflix and chill. And we forget <laughs> the joys that are just over that threshold, you know, there's like in the psychology of, of um, you know, just physical health and exercise, just getting across that threshold. Like they talk about like energy begetting and energy taking activities, right? Mm-hmm. Energizing and de-energizing activities. And the reality is, and that's so, that's why I'm so drawn to and love your work. I showed Ginny at the beginning of this call, my 1000 hours outside tracker. I like love the analog piece of this, but like the, just getting across that threshold getting outside, like it requires the effort of putting on the shoes, walking out the door, Mm -hmm. but the rewards come so quickly. And that's what I love about this practice of getting outside every day is the energy it gives back almost immediately. You have that in the book. And I thought that was so interesting, but now I can't find it in my notes, but it was basically like, that is the only hard part is getting over the threshold. That is the only burden and then the burden, yes. it fades away. Disappears. Yeah, it disappears. Yes. That was the yeah. word. It's It was such a good yeah. quote. Once you get across the threshold of effort, mm-hmm. the burden disappears and it becomes a joy. Yes. And so when you go into the study of joy, which I have done at length in my work, right. uh, le- leading this movement, the joy of missing out, 
there are two things that need to be present for an experience of joy and their attention and effort. Mm. Because you can be in a moment that's staggeringly beautiful and profound, but unless you're attentive to it, you can miss it. Right. And there's something about effort and engagement that needs to be present for a truly jo- joyful moment. Mm-hmm. And that could be physical effort, but it could also just be cognitive right. right? effort, being attentive to a conversation or to a, a truly beautiful piece of art that you're consuming, right? Mm-hmm. That could be virtually, but that could also be, you know, in the real world. And so, yeah, actively noticing and nurturing is something I write about, mm-hmm. actively noticing our joys and then actively nurturing mm-hmm. them. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit betterhelp.com 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp com slash 1000 hours. Right. And so I think that this phrase of good burdens is going to float around in my mind a lot. That just because something is hard, feels burdensome, dealing with our children, getting outside for a walk, setting the photo aside and playing the piano, these different types of things, mm. that this is a good burden. This is a good thing. And you wrote, you have so many great quotes in here. Everything about our modern day technologies from the apps on our phone to the gadgets in our cars are centered on ease but making things easier doesn't lead to a deep satisfaction. This was in your section about the rowing and getting up at 4.30 and talking about your kids at the demands of these little children. Without them, you know, we might be glued to the screen. Our time would slip away from us. So I love that concept of good burdens. You talk about the Amish, how they're slow to adapt these technologies, any, any of the technologies, because I think they realize that there is this large trade-off. So it was a great concept for people to think about. And I loved reading about it. People can read more in the Joy of Missing Out book. Then you talk a lot about information overload. What's interesting about a book written in 2015, eight years ago, about technology, (laughs) is that it still is very pertinent. I mean, you're talking about the things that VR, AI, it's all in there. And these sort of potentially limitless distractions that we have so much information. There was this quote, those carrying smartphones or tablets that we have to make choices, hundreds of choices a day, and that a certain percentage of people are never more than three feet away from their phones at all times. So Mm -hmm. how are you helping people deal with, it really is information overload. And coming with that is this pressure also 
to be relevant. And you talk about like, you have to be louder and bolder and faster. And there's a lot of pressure there too, to not be Mm. ordinary. I thought that was worded so well. So how we deal with this just onslaught of information and our place in it. Mm -hmm. That's a big question, (laughs) Janine. So many layers to that question. Yeah, no, let's dig into it. You are the digital mindfulness expert. Yes, I am. (laughs) I am. So one of the things I go through, so I have a course called the Drama Method. And one of the things we do really, really early on in that course is a values discovery process. So I write and teach a lot about in my workshops and, and speaking Um, I talk a lot about building a values-based led approach to technology. And so what we do is we go through this process of discovering your three core values, right? And there's, there's a difference between practice values. Okay. The things we actually actively are doing on a daily basis and then aspirational values. So the values that we aspire to, as the name suggests. So what we're doing is defining our aspirational values. So say my values are freedom, uh, faith and relationships, Okay. I would want to line up my digital use with those three things. And so what we do is also have people look at their, and it's wonderful now that the smartphones are coming out with these screen time tools within settings. You can go in and see your, you know, your screen time use. And if you've never done that before, I encourage you to do that. It's almost universally quite a wake up call for people. If you've never looked at your daily and weekly screen time usage, but what I have people do is look at their top three apps they use on a regular basis. And then you put those values and you put those tools side by side. Mm -hmm. And then I ask, can you with integrity draw a line from that value to that tool, the way that you're using that tool? And if you can, then that's awesome, right? That's the goal. The goal is to be like, I value relationships and my top app usage is actually WhatsApp. And I use WhatsApp really intentionally. And I have these groups and I feel like I manage that pretty well. And I have my notifications, you know set in a way that I'm like not being assaulted every moment by dings and rings and buzzes and, you know, badges, and then systematically go through that. And then if you start to see misalignment, like I can't draw a line, let's say from my value of freedom and freedom can be defined in any way. Freedom for you would be freedom for me. And that's perfectly fine. But can I draw a line from my value of freedom to Instagram. How am I using Instagram? What is what is the content I'm consuming there? Um, so that's that's one um, way to kind of bring some clarity mm-hmm. to the way that we're using technology. And then I also run something. It's a free event. Uh, it's called a digital house cleaning party. Um, my next one's on March 9th. So if you go to my website, I'm sure Jenny will be generous enough to share that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're all welcome. It's an hour long call over Zoom, and we digitally house clean all of your different spaces because we actually spend, Jenny's helping us get away from this, but we do on average spend more time in front of devices at this point than we do away from devices. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have systems for regularly tidying, cleaning up those spaces, just like we do with our physical spaces. Mm -hmm. And so one of the other um, strategies is, uh, let's say you go into your social media accounts. I have three questions to ask yourself in series to begin to reduce that cognitive overload, that information Mm -hmm. overload. It really comes down to reducing inputs Mm -hmm. and getting really, really, really tight on what you value and what what needs to come in on a regular basis. And so uh, go in, you can do this right now or after this, after listening to this podcast, uh, go into your social media account of preference and ask yourself for each account that you follow. First of all, who is this? Who or what is this? Mm -hmm. Okay. If you can no longer define, like if you don't know instantly what or who that is, just unfollow it. Okay. It's just like, whatever. It's like, it's non-content anymore, right? Who is this? I mean, I think that, I do think that a lot of us have those experiences, right? Where a couple of years down the road, you're like, wait a minute, who is this? Wait a minute. (laughs) What is this? Who is this? How did I start following this? Unfollow. Okay. Number one. Okay, if you can, if you can't answer who or what that is, cool, move on to question number two. Question number two is, is this important? Does it bring me joy? This is kind of two-parter. Is this important or does this bring me joy? Okay, if it's not important, it could have been important to you at some point, Mm -hmm. probably when you decided to follow that account, maybe you were like, really into going on a big trip to like wherever and you started following these accounts because you wanted inspiration or ideas but you like you've done that trip or you've moved on you're not want to do that anymore is this important or does this bring me joy if the answer is no 
then unfollow it. If the answer is yes, then you get to move on to question number three, which is, do I want to bring this with me? Hmm. Is this something I want to bring with me forward into the future? Because it might be true that you know who it is and the content you think is important or it brings you joy, but do you want to bring it with you forward into the future? It could be that that content is still really inspirational and beautiful and you feel like you should, should follow those people. But maybe that account or that person starting to make you feel really bad. Maybe you have some judgments about that person. Maybe that's like a peer and you're like, that person's killing it. And I feel like I'm not killing it. And it's like making you feel jealous, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Whatever your reasons are, then unfollow. But if you can answer all those questions in the affirmative, then like, by all means, keep following them. And then you've you've just got clarity on why that content is important to you as opposed to like, just literally shoving, shoveling through heaps of content on a daily basis. It is so overwhelming. And then we haven't even got into the conversation about like despair and depression and like all of the negative content just coming through like news feeds. Right. And even beyond the negativity, I think, or things that are negative and so you would feel bad because they're actually negative. It's just this thought of information overload. And you did this really cool thing in the joy of missing out of paralleling the sort of rise in information overload Mm. with a rise in mental health problems. And you even Mm. had a thing in there from 1918. Vladimir Lenin says he sees a connection between electricity and mental health issues. So this is over 100 years ago. And so you have this parallel where, you know, at one point in time, people got a newspaper that was four pages and that was it. That was the only information that they got outside of their sort of immediate social circle of information to consume in one day. And now there's more bits of information than, like you said, there are grains of sand in the world. So that really is affecting our mental well-being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think practices like you teach with 1000 Hours Outside are so important in terms of like resetting. I share in my second book that I actually wrote pretty much all of it outside. I bike my little powder blue bicycle to High Park, which is the largest park here in Toronto. It happens to be not too far from my house. And I write at this beat up old green picnic table in the park, which is all free. And the connections that I make in my mind as a creative writer outdoors are like eons ahead of the quality of the writing that I do indoors. Because I'm seeing and literally hearing and feeling the connections between all the people, all the pieces of our world that I don't in isolation in this completely controlled environment I've created for myself here in my home with temperature control and lighting and all these things. And so I am a huge proponent of any work you can do outdoors, I think is better work for a whole bunch of reasons, which you probably can express better than I can being the nature expert that you are. But I think that is such why I love what you do. One of the reasons why I love what you do is it's such a simple strategy is to at least balance the screen time with the outdoor time or get as close as you can to that. Because I think that is the simplest solution to information overload. Because there are so many technology companies that are trying to solve the technology problem. And I believe that we are not going to solve the technology problem with more technology. I loved this Borgman quote. And actually, I was like, oh, this is what we are doing. He writes, my focus is less on setting limits than it is on creating the positive conditions in which technology becomes less compelling and different kinds of engagements thrive and flourish. That's it. That's exactly right. And you talked in here, I thought it was actually a really interesting statement about the importance of showing our kids this good life. And the reason, Mm. one of the reasons is because we have experience of having less tech and they don't. Right. And so we have that advantage that they don't have. And so we have to teach our kids because we can remember a time before a smartphone, but they can't. So it's important for them to have these experiences that are tech-free so they know what it feels like. I would imagine that there would be kids that would grow up and not have a solid understanding of the joys of tech-free experience in large measure. And so I like that we have to teach our kids. So one of the things that you talk about, this is another thing that I thought was really interesting. It's got these good burdens and it is really hard. This is really hard. It feels very hard. 
This is an onslaught of kids asking for tech, of feeling this draw to technology, of having this easy solution within three feet of us, 24 hours a day. And you have this quote from Flannery O'Connor that says, Mm. you have to push as hard as the age pushes you. And that was very eye-opening because the age is pushing us very hard. And that's why this is difficult. So what would you say, what's pushing us? What are some of Mm. the big pushes that we're having to put effort to sort of push in a different direction? Well, it's, it's the tech inevitability lie that we're being fed from primarily Silicon Valley, that this is just the natural progression of history. This is just the way things need to be. This is just a natural progression of human history, right? We're using our intellects, we're using our abilities to create technology that's going to rid us of every burden and create a better life. And they have an okay track record. Arguably, our lives, we are healthier, well, okay. <laughs> we, I mean, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. We're not actually healthier. We are living longer, right? Because of all the advances in medical technology, right? We're more comfortable. People are dying less because we have, right? We're like physically protected, most of us, right? From the elements, these types of things. So anyway, so that's one of the big pushes, right? Is like, this is just the natural progression. This is the way it has to go. But the reality is, is every single piece of technology from the earphones I have tucked in my ears, which actually are probably hundreds of pieces of technology, right? All connected together, right? Every single tiny piece of technology, big and small, is a decision by a human being to create a thing, primarily, if not entirely, for financial gain. These are products that are being sold to us. And so the other big push of our age, right, is consumption, that we should consume at all costs, right? Yeah. The path to happiness is to consume more consumption, moving faster technologies and and, and inevitability. I always fumble over that. It's a mouthful. And inevitability. But it's not true. These are all human decisions that we're making on a daily basis. And so we can push back. And that's what you're doing. You are pushing back and saying, actually, technology is not the solution for every ailment, every element. Even in Europe, doctors are now prescribing time in nature. I'm sure you're you're aware of this, right? Like, we don't need technology to just solve a technology problem. It doesn't make any sense. Solving the overuse of technology by layering in more complex systems, inbox zero, like this absolutely insane (laughs) aim of like processing more technology effectively, like just let it go, get rid of it, reduce it. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. 
Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Yeah. Yeah. You had good ideas. Yeah. Check your email every other day. Check it once a week. Turn your phones off at 5 p.m. These different things. And I think when you read about your experience of doing an internet fast, which is an interesting thing to think about, you see that, look, people can survive without these things. And in certain instances, obviously, you need things for your job. You need things for your health. There's different things that are necessary, but the amount that we use them could be less. The boundaries we could put in could be more. And so you did a complete internet fast, which I thought was super interesting. And this is the thing, the quote that got me in there, because I've heard a little bit here and there about other people who have stepped away from the internet for a period of time. But I do think that your quote in here is so pertinent. It's sort of what everyone thinks. You write, suggesting that to unplug for a few days is pointless because people plan to return to the digital world is misguided. I mean, I've thought this. Oh, okay, you're going to step away for five days. What's the big deal? You're just going to go right back to it. I mean, this is literally what I have thought too. But you write, by that logic, we should also rid ourselves of weekends, summer vacations, fasting for religious or health purposes, and giving up drugs. So this is really interesting that in a lot of other avenues, we do let things go for a period of time, knowing that we're going to come back to it. And so Mm -hmm. I think people would love to hear about just fasting, pulling away from technology. Mm -hmm. How has that affected your life? And what are some ideas that people can do to infuse that even in small doses into their own Mm -hmm. lives? So this kind of ties back into the the quote you shared earlier about creating the positive conditions for other engagements to thrive and flourish so that technology becomes less compelling. When I give talks and I suggest to people that they should unplug for a portion of time, People are terrified. They literally don't know what else to do with their time. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea of tech Sabbath or tech Shabbat, you know, a 24-hour period on a weekly basis. Tiffany Schlein's written a beautiful book, you know, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. Um, and there's many, cool many different title. people that it's a great title. So if you just talk about the removal of a thing, it doesn't instill joy. <laughs> It instills fear, uh, which is what I'm really working hard to get people away from, right? Because obviously the antithesis to the joy of missing out is the fear of missing out. I do not want to instill fear. I want to instill joy. And so what you need to do is put things in that container. So yes, I think everyone should take at least half a day, ideally a day off from most of the internet a week. Mm -hmm. I think having a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever the day is that works for you and your family. For us, it's Sundays. You know, the kids do not touch any technology. Um, That day, we prioritize other activities. And so if you're willing to give this a try, make a plan. So say, let's say your day is Sunday, make a plan to meet up with a friend that morning for a walk outdoors or brunch or some combination thereof, like actually make a little plan for how you're going to spend that time. Oh, I've had that book on my, on my side table, right. For the last three months, I haven't been reading it. It can't be a should book. It can't be a book that you're like, I should read this. It needs to be a book that like you would derive pleasure from. Cause again, you're not going to do it. You're not going to want to do it. And so then you're just going to probably go back to, you know, scrolling on your phone. So building a day or even half a day that's filled with the things that actually bring you alive, that bring you joy is, I think, the most powerful way to um, begin these new practices. And then in terms of like longer breaks, yeah, exactly for the same. Like, I'm so glad that you shared that that quote. I'm actually um, working, moving towards a second edition of The Joy of Missing Out, a 10-year. It's kind of going to be crazy, but a 10th, a 10-year anniversary edition. I'm very excited to be, you know, working with that original material, but um, getting a chance to, to write some fresh and new things. And that's a piece I'll definitely keep, thanks to you. Um, that reminder of like the power of the weekend, right? There's this movement now for the four-day work week. Why? Because having three days to prioritize leisure and pleasure and relationships and service and volunteering, being physically in your body and present to 
you know, your life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like living to live, not living to work, these things matter. And so unplugging for chunks of time, it's funny, like I have, I've run different retreats and like, you know, you fill it with these things and like, really what people want to do is do nothing. They want to experience the joy of missing out. They want to sleep in, go for a walk and wander around, have a nice meal, be attentive to it and have a conversation like whatever it's, it's about the break. Mm-hmm. It's about the the reset. And so, yeah, when I hear people say it's funny, like there's a couple, I keep, I keep tabs on the people in this space because that's my job. And there's, there's one person in particular who is considered a digital, you know, wellness expert in Australia, actually. And they have come down really hard on unplugging. And recently that person had a transformative experience in nature, unplugging. And I was like, props to them because they actually wrote about it and are changing their tune because they had a personal embodied experience with it. They're not just looking at the data, their numbers and saying, oh, you're just going to go back to it. Screen time numbers are going to just balance out again. It doesn't affect anything. What it affects is your like humanity, the intangible pieces of what it means to be human. (laughs) Yeah, it's very motivating because it doesn't matter if you go back to it. You've had a break and it has taught you things. It has taught you things about yourself. It's given you time for different experiences. We're having a really good year here. I have lost the burden. I've lost the good burden of really young children. And Mm. it was a burden that I was excited to lose because we have five kids and they're clingy. And the youngest one was the clingiest one of all. And so for about 14 years, I had that burden of caring constantly Mm. for young children. And I lost it within the last year. And I felt a little lost, a little floundering. A lot of the time went to work things. And so this year, I'm really trying to prioritize analog experiences, not digital. And so this Mm. past month, I played the piano for 20 hours. I wanted to play for 28 because it's February, but I missed some days. And it's interesting because it's just time that's taken away from the screens. And I learned two new piano pieces. I mean, it's been fantastic. I, I was motivated because it's also really good for your brain connections. And so it kind of got me back into practicing. But this thought of if we take that time away, even if we go back to it for other things, we've still had these experiences along the way. I read a fiction book. I mean, this is great. It changes your mm-hmm. life. Even if the screens are still a large part of your life, it does a lot to step away from it for a time, whatever that time is. And I liked what you talked about, how it humbles us. The world keeps on turning without my words, without my likes and dislikes. And it's a good yeah. reminder. I think it's an essential reminder. Right. There's a lot of leaning toward narcissism when you're involved with everyone and, you're, and your status in the world can move up depending on how much time you give it, which is an interesting, yeah. it's very different from how when we grew up. It's, you had your status, you had your social status. It was based on all sorts of things, but I don't think you could change it very easily. It was what it was. You kind of were who you were in the stratosphere of popularity or relationships. And these days, if you put time to it, you can change Mm. that. And so it's very compelling. And we have to guard against that, I think. Yeah. And there's joy in Mm self-forgetfulness. Like being so caught up in a conversation and being, you know, centered and giving all of your focus to another person or being you know, out in nature and walking and just being taken with, you know, the environment around you. And it's like yourself falls away, but in like the healthiest, most positive way. Right. Um, the, yeah. I like, I like to talk about the joy of self-forgetfulness. And the joy of an ordinary yeah. life. I think that's something that you yeah. write in here that is really something to think about. Like, is it okay if it's just ordinary? Is it okay if nobody has any idea what we have going on? It made me think about really how will my kids feel? Like, will they feel okay to just have this life like how we used to have them decades ago, where it just kind of was the same as everyone else's for the most part with little variances here and there, but no one really knew who we were and except in our own social circles. So yeah, lots of interesting things to think about. And one last one, which is really going to be pertinent to this audience, is you talk in the book, The Joy of Missing Out, a lot about childhood. And you have this quote from Rafi, where he says, it is important for kids not to know how to log in. It's important for kids not to know how to log in. And he talks about basically how balance is very elusive. 
that balance is sold to us basically and it's like a red herring in the early years when it comes to little kids that balance in the early years is a red herring so you had some statistic in there about that in the 70s the average child didn't watch any television until they were four but now the average mm. age is four months and it's less even about the age of when they start with screens but more about the amount of time they're spending on them so you've got kids and mm -hmm. we're growing up in the digital age with our children we don't want to end childhood we want to make sure that they have a long childhood in which they can grow and learn so what is your mm -hmm. advice for parents who are in the thick of it and really there are a lot of stages here if the average age of starting television watching is four months I mean, we're talking 18 years of almost full 18 years of dealing with yeah how do we manage screens how do you manage it? I, I mean, there's so much around this topic. Um, my husband and I recently rewrote our screen time principles for our family. I have them in front of me right now. I'll just share a couple pieces of it. Uh, we start off by talking to the kids about the fact that we observe a difference between using technology as a tool to support a goal and using technology to consume entertainment. So there's a definable difference between this is a tool. So I'm using Duolingo to reinforce or advance my French learning versus I'm watching what once was a cooking YouTuber who is now doing YouTube shorts and eating like Doritos with her sister and rating them. Like that's a difference, right? There's a definable <laughs> a difference bit. between the quality of that content. One is helping me learn and become. One is essentially just taking, you know, minutes, days, years off my life. I, apart to this, I'll share this with you in case it's interesting uh, to you and, and to your readers. But um, one line that my husband shared or added to this, which I found shocking and very powerful was, entertainment is not a right. My kids are now 9, 11, and 13. So, you know, basically all of their peers at this point have devices or have phones. Our kids do not. And so they're even on the lunch hours, right? I mean, this is like true oh. everywhere at this point. Like lunch hours, the phones come out. Everyone's watching TikTok, whatever. It's like entertainment is not a right. You do not have a right to be entertained ever. Like life is not about entertainment. This is not a performance. Wow. This is a life. And so really when you asked about like, you know, you have to push as hard as the age that pushes us, we are pushing so hard in this home yeah. against the idea that entertainment is a right, that life is a performance. We are here to serve. We are here to love. We are here to become. If our technology is supporting those goals, then we are all for it. We have, the, our kids have iPads. They can message with friends that keeps them connected, right? That's that caring creativity and community piece, right? They can do that without being asked. Like, they don't have to ask to do that. They are always free to do that. But, you know, we curate what they consume so they can show us a thing and, and, and they have to explain to us the educational and like moral benefits of the content they're consuming. Like, okay, convince me. Like, why is this new YouTuber? I love that. We say stuff like that too. Yeah. I always yeah. say, I say, give me your pitch. Give me your pitch. <laughs> yeah. What's your pitch? And then we like usually set it aside for conversation on the weekend when we have more time to like actually be attentive to that and maybe watch them and, and vet it or whatever. But yeah, I think when it comes to, and, and we keep all of our technology in common areas. Mm -hmm. So that's just like a, like a sort of a protective thing. And then it's like, yeah, if someone's watching even content that's useful, like I, I have a son who's in, in an art school and he loves to watch other artists, but I can see him, it does become entertainment and not a tool when he's just watching, 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 and then not mm -hmm. taking what he's learned and then putting into practice. Right. So is the onus way more on parents to, to direct and guide? Yes, it is way more work to do it. And it is, it can feel all consuming, but that's where I come back to these super simple principles, always grounding it back into what we talked about. This is probably the third time we talked about it today, but creating the positive conditions where technology becomes less compelling and other engagements thrive and flourish. Mm -hmm. So, and that we reframe it. These are good burdens. They're good burdens because mm -hmm. that helps us to think about our own lives. If we're helping to structure our kids' lives, that's helping us think about our own time. If we're having to make plans on a Sunday with another family, well, then we're hanging out with another family on a Sunday. That's a burden. It's a burden to try and figure out how to fill the time. It's a burden to have an entire screen-free day with kids. That's a huge burden because you're having to sort it of is. figure out what are we going to fill this time with? But then it turns out that 
everyone has a better life as a result. And so I really love that reframing of a good burden. This book was fantastic. I got so much out of it. Quotes and thoughts and new conversation topics. And like I said, things that will just be rolling around in my mind for a long time. And I love that. I love when you have just these simple, like the good burdens concept is a huge one. So I can't wait to read Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age. But Christina, if people are wanting to find you, you have a course, you do consulting, you have a a shop, you have a podcast, where can people go to find you? Yeah, they can go to experiencejomo.com and you'll find everything there. Okay. It's all easy to find. And your podcast, the JomoCast has got over 50 episodes. So people can get a lot of information there. You have a course, like I said, and so there's a lot to learn. And you have these books that people can read and the 10 year anniversary coming out of the joy of missing out. That'll be here before you know it. So Christina, we always (laughs) end our podcast the same way. And it's a reminder of the joy that's out there in our natural world. What is a Mm. favorite childhood memory of yours that was outside this is so easy for me sitting in queen's park under a canopy of oak leaves with my big brothers peeling acorns like opening them up with our hands the green exterior and then like finding the little smooth treasure in the middle (laughs) isn't that incredible that things can be so simple and bring so much joy. It's such a great reminder. It's a perfect ending to the podcast where we're surrounded with virtual reality glasses. And, you know, there was a quote in there about how you could be courtside at a basketball game. It's like, well, no, you're really not. You just have glasses on that make it feel like you are. And that's what we're trying to do to get these highs and to get these experiences. But kids can be satisfied playing with acorns, peeling things and Mm -hmm. trying to discover So what a great end. Christina, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. Love your work. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.